When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer, as always, here with you. A very, very loaded show, as you can tell. This is released a day later in part. We wanted to wait to see what the Colts were going to do at the trade deadline. They did make one move. We'll get into that as Naeem Hines now headed to Buffalo. We also had another change in the offense. Marcus Brady's the latest to get the axe. He's been fired on Tuesday. The Colts announced we'll get into that. And to close of the show, folks, do not go anywhere. You want to listen to this at the end of the show. George has a very strong hot take about which retirement was more impactful and kind of hurt the Colts long term between Andrew Luck and Philip Burst. We got a loaded show, as you can tell. So first of all, George, have you calmed down that hot take? It's sizzling. It's in burn-up for the last 48 hours. Have you cooled it down at least for the next few minutes here? I'm, I'm going to keep it on simmer now <laughs> until we get to the third segment. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, the, you know, the Colts keep distracting me with all this news. I'm trying to trying to throw hot takes out here, and, and I got to do work. What, what's yeah, up it's with like, that? It's like they knew this was coming. They said, oh, how can we distract it? How can we just bury the lead? And they, like I said, they have Marcus Brady getting fired. Now you have the, the trade deadline as well. They, the Colts have tried their hardest. Give them credit. They could not uh, get the job done. That hot take will be coming out here in a little bit. But like I said, the, the, we are recording this on Wednesday right after the trade deadline is coming on. The Colts make one move. They trade Naeem Hines uh, to the Buffalo Bills. They get Zach Moss back in a conditional sixth-round pick. That potentially could turn into a fifth-round pick. I'll be honest, George, if you said one player was going to be traded, I know the last 20, 24 hours is kind of being rumored and, and there was momentum to Naeem Hines being traded. I would not have guessed that the one player being traded on the Colts would be Naeem Hines. No, I wouldn't have either. Uh, I don't think it was entirely the team's decision. Um, his agent, I think, was pushing for this a little bit. And I think it's something that Naeem was not. Let's just say he wasn't opposed to the idea of of this move taking place. Nice uh, way so you, could I, it, you could put it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I would hate it straight out of here. He would never have been a, a problem in this locker room. I don't think he was ever going to be a guy who was, you know, going to stand out and, and criticize everybody. And you know, it isn't going to turn into what it looks like Brandon Cooks might turn into down in Houston. I don't think that was ever, you know, the path this was headed down. Uh, and it's, honestly, I think it's also doing a solid for a good guy. I mean, you've got a guy who's who's been the good soldier here, you know, since he got drafted in 2018. Um, they, they've promised him that they're going to use him in different ways. And, you know, this year they come out and say, if, if Frank Reich had a fantasy team, he would draft him to that team. And, and it really hasn't changed. His role really hasn't changed much, uh, through that whole stretch, give him a chance to go to Buffalo. And you know what? Uh, he's such a great guy. I think everybody involved in, in that Indianapolis franchise is hoping that, you know, he, he gets his ring this year. I mean, that's, that's the storybook ending for him. Go up to Buffalo you know, be a gadget guy up there, get to play in a really fun offense with Josh Allen and maybe go win a Super Bowl. Um, good deal for for Naheem Hines. I don't see it as much of a good deal for the Colts. Um, 
I mean, I'm just going to be blunt. They, they got back a bad running back, and they got a pick that is not very useful. I mean, it, we've seen Chris Ballard do things in that area of the draft, the sixth and, and fifth round. I mean, right now they're starting quarterbacks a sixth rounder, so maybe I shouldn't underplay it uh, to, to this extent. But uh, it's just it, – I to me, when you make a move, one of three things should happen. You should get better right now. That wasn't the result of this draft. No, sir. You should get, you know, some kind of draft assets back that that can make you better in the future. That doesn't seem to be the result of this draft. Or it should be a signal to everybody, okay, we're we're, we're waving the white flag and we're done. And that really wasn't this trade either. So I, the the only thing I can see that that the Colts get out of this is saving some money. You know, I mean, Naeem Hines just signed. Uh, was it last year, the, the contract extension? And now that goes on Buffalo's ledger. That, to me, is kind of the loan benefit I feel from this deal right now. And it's the first part about that is, like, it's not like Jim Mercer has ever been a penny pincher. He's not, you know, he'll spend. If it means winning, he is not shy about spending money. So it's like, you, I think you're 100% right because it's it kind of is just a budget save move because otherwise there's no real rationale behind it. And that's kind of like, I have two takeaways from that. And one of them is just kind of like, you kind of lie to everybody because when they benched Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger, the rationale, the thought, the explanation was, well, we're going to give Sam a shot and we're going to give him 10 games. They announced right away. He's going to be the starter for the rest of the season, which is basically a de facto tryout, right? We're going to see what this kid has. They've been talking about him. They've been raving about him. We saw glimpses in the preseason against third and fourth stringers. And it's, there's potentially a thought. Now, both of us were kind of skeptical and we didn't really buy into that. Sam Ellinger is going to you know, turn into, let's say Jalen hurts 2.0 and win the job and, and, and be the answer for the Colts at the starting quarterback. But what you're doing in trading away Naeem Hines is you're taking away an opportunity for a Samuel to win the job. Like, if you truly want to give him the best chance in 10 games to see what he can do and see if he could be the answer, taking away one weapon, a useful weapon, is not is not how you see if Ellinger can do it or not. I get they misused him, and I get especially Hines' frustration for sure, where like you mentioned it. Frank Reich basically promised we're going to get him involved heavily this year in the run game and the pass game. And that was just not like just come whether it's just game planning, just flat out lie in the preseason or just couldn't, you know, get it done. They failed to do that. And so, sure, you can make the argument it's not really that, you know, that impactful in those Colts offense and they couldn't get the most out of them anyway. But you, nonetheless, you take away a player that we saw even on Sunday against the commanders had more of an involvement and was at least getting the ball a little bit more often and in better places to succeed with Sam Ellinger quarterback than with Matt Ryan this year. And now you take away that weapon. And again, you make Sam Ellinger's job that much harder. So it just kind of goes back to when you bench Matt Ryan in the first place, it's more for a tank, which is kind of what we thought, than it is giving Sam Ellinger a trial because now in taking away one of his weapons and key pieces, you're not truly giving him a fair and full opportunity to win the job. Yeah, you're definitely not giving him, you know, the, the full compliment on, on offense. You definitely didn't make anything easier on him with this move. Uh, again, I think it was more driven on on hindsight. Uh, you know, I don't think it was something the team necessarily sought out as much as it was something that maybe the player wanted to happen. And, and again, I to me, it's mostly just doing a solid to a guy who's been a really good soldier here, you know, giving him a chance, saying, okay, you know what, you'd rather be somewhere else. Uh, we'll see what we can do. And, and you're able to swing that deal with the Bills. Uh, it's a really good deal for Naeem Hines. Not a really good deal for the Indianapolis Colts. Maybe I'm wrong, George, but you mentioned before, like, Naeem Hines is a, is a good soldier. He's not a guy that's going to cause problems. And if he wasn't traded, I personally have a hard time and couldn't envision him causing a stink or 
tweeting cryptic tweets on social media and kind of just being a problem. If they said, you know what, we're going to try our best now. We have a new quarterback to kind of work in and get you more touches than maybe reevaluate in the offseason. I think you would have signed up for it. So I don't view this as one of those situations where it's like basically you got to trade them. This is a, mm -hmm. a, a, an issue that is unsolvable and it's just the best at both sides apart. Again, if you're doing Hines more fair than anything else, then what are you really doing for your team? Like if you're Chris Bauer, don't you owe it more to the other 52 guys in the locker room and you owe it to Frank Reich and you owe it to Jim Mercer to put them in the best position to uh, succeed rather than say, oh, you know, I want to owe Hines one because I don't know, we lied to him or we screwed him or we just, you know, he's a good guy and deserves it. Have him try to help out in Indy instead of, you know, first, instead of just trying to, you know, do good by him. That just also brings me to the second point then, George. If you're going to trade Hines, if you're going to take away, again, a weapon for Sam Ellinger and kind of signal that the tank is on, why not go all in? Like, we talked about two of the guys that if you, you know, we didn't really have Hines on the radar as a guy to be traded. The two guys we talked about the most were Stephon Gilmore and Unique Ngakwe and Parker's of their short-term deals. Gilmore's on a two-year deal and Ngakwe's on a one-year deal. So when you look at this Colts team, they're not going to be very good probably next year, or at least let's just say definitely not Super Bowl contenders next year. So by the time you truly kind of turn things around, those two guys are going to be out of their prime and probably on at least one other team from now. Why not try to get any sort of draft capital back when you're talking about a shutdown corner that was on display in Denver? You know, he, you saw him basically kind of defensively win that game in a primetime game. And a guy that, yes, I get Ngakwe has struggled so far and it has not lived up to the hype of what he's supposed to be as an edge rusher for the Colts and being that guy with constant pressure. But he's an edge rusher. You know, it's like one of the most important positions in all of the NFL. I have a hard time believing teams were not interested in a guy in Gilmore and a guy in Ngakwe and giving up some sort of decent draft capital somewhere in the third, maybe even a second round range. I just, I don't get why if you're going to trade away Hines, why not just go all in then? Yeah, that's, that's another reason I don't like the deal at all. I mean, because... In and of itself, it didn't do anything to, to further any kind of definitive direction for this team. It didn't help anything out now. It didn't help anything out in the future. And you didn't do anything else around it. So you're not sold into a, a tank. You're still talking about trying to, you know, win games and, and make the playoffs. And, and I just, if anything, it signals sort of the lack of direction that this team has right now. I mean, uh, they keep talking about wanting to be a playoff contender and, wanting to do their best to try to finish the season out the, the way that they can. But you traded one of your top playmakers away, which is not really keeping in, in, in that sense of things. Uh, and at the same time, you're not doing anything to, to really stockpile assets and put yourself in a position to, you know, maybe be a big time player in the draft next year. They have, I think, I think they have 10 picks right now. I think this is the third they've got from somebody else. I think they've got two sevenths, either two sixths or two fifths, depending on how that turns out and either two-thirds or two-seconds, depending on that turns out. So they do have, you know, a stockpile, but it's not the kind of stockpile that, say, Philadelphia has uh, right. that they don't need with the best record in the NFL right now. That's a whole other argument. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to control the draft the way the Eagles could if they wanted to. It just feels like kind of aimlessly floating out at sea right now. And, and that's the frustrating. Like, you're right, and it's like, this goes to a bigger point of the Colts kind of being now one of these teams stuck in the middle. Where ever since Andrew Luck retired again, 2019, there's nothing you could do when he retires two years for the season. 2020, you're 11 and five, and you kind of showed, hey, this team, if you can get, you know, a legitimate franchise quarterback in here and kind of just, let's go say, go one step above what Phillip Rivers gave you, this is a team that could be winning playoff games. It could be on the outside looking in of a possible Super Bowl run. They tried, they, or they thought that was a the guy with Carson Wentz. And now you look at this 2022 season. 
it's like, forget, like, they're not just a quarterback away. We've talked about this a lot. Like, there are so many holes that have been revealed with this team where it's like, if you're Chris Barrett, like, you just can't, I guess, hold on to ghosts and think we're going to either turn it around or we're close to, you know, being a rock. Like, we don't have to tank, basically tear it down. We're still close to competing in just a, a two or three players away. Like, that's not the case. You have to no. be able to GM to pivot when you see like things are not going our way and read the room. And I think that Chris Ballard failed to kind of read who the Colts truly are on Tuesday. I also think that it's it's part of that that tension that we were talking about, the struggle that you have in a franchise where what's best for the Colts moving forward right now probably isn't best for Chris Ballard and definitely isn't best for, for Frank Reich. You know, if they commit to a full rebuild, they might not be around to, to see it. And I think that's one of the issues that, that goes on right now in the NFL you know, it tells me is that Jim Irsay didn't tell them, okay, go ahead and start from scratch and, and I'll let you start over. Uh, they're trying to, to piece it together and get something done this year. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I know the report that came out with Chris Mortensen, uh, you know, on Sunday and, and that they're both safe. But you said it that day, you know, that's at best the dreaded vote of confidence. Yeah. It never seems to go well for anybody. Uh, and I think everybody understands Frank Reich's under fire right now, including Frank Reich. He's made reference to it a few times, talking about, you know, he's got to own this and and that uh, the head coach and the quarterback are ultimately the, the people who take the most of the brunt. He knows he's been around the league for 14 years. He knows how this story ends. I mean, played in the league for 14 years. He's been around the league much longer than that. He knows how this story ends. And, and I think that's why they're stuck in that spot that we're seeing them in because you've got a head coach and a general manager who have to do at least a decent amount of an effort to try to win as much as they can this year. And a team that's probably honestly best off if they don't. And then I think that's, I think you're right. And that puts part of the blame then on Jim Irsay as well, whether like, it sounds bad to say, but I think it's just part of the truth. Like if you got to lie and say, Hey, you guys are safe, you know, make these moves and we'll kind of reassess. Like, I think if you're Jim, again, you're the only one guaranteed to not go anywhere. So you have to, and he definitely wants to see this Colts team win. He has to realize, you know what? It's time to give up the ghost, man. This is not a team that's turning around this year. This is not a team that's going to be a playoff team. And if by some miracle they do make the playoffs, this is not a contender whatsoever. You mentioned it. The best thing for the future of this team is to tear it down, acquire as many draft picks as possible. Again, you can, if you're Chris Ballard, I would, Personally, if I was him, I would feel a little bit safer because, again, his draft record, um, especially later on in the draft, has been pretty good. A lot more hits than misses. So at least you can feel confident that, hey, you can lean on your track record of, we got all these picks. Let me do my thing. We'll get a quarterback this year. And let me show you that, you know, I still got it. We can build a roster kind of over again or maybe, let's say, retool a roster instead of rebuild. Yeah. You have so, still some pieces. But, like, that's, again, you got to be on Ursa to at least communicate that we need to sell something like we need to in the be in the process of acquiring draft picks and lose as many games as possible. You have to communicate in that in a way where your two direct reports in Frank Reich and Chris Ballard feel comfortable enough to go down that direction. Instead of like I said, always kind of having, you know, looking behind their shoulder because they're worried that, you know, this could be the day that, you know, they're canned. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's always hard to sell Jim or say on a, on a rebuild, you know, he came in, to this preseason saying that he thought this was going to be the start of a new gold there. He was talking about Matt Ryan being a leader like Peyton Manning. You know, they, they thought that they had a team that could make a run and we kind of agreed with them. I mean, we thought this was a team that would win the AFC South, maybe win a playoff game. You know, they could make some noise this year, put themselves in a position where you add a couple pieces again next year and, and you're a contender again. Uh, and I think it's hard for the owner to, to, to give that up. 
I understand why, you know, you were much more involved in the building of that team than, than either of us were. Uh, and I, it's always harder when your hands were on it, you know, when you were part of creating it, it's always harder to let it go. Uh, but I think what you've ended up with now is, is what we've been talking about this, this whole segment, a team that's sort of no unified vision moving forward. You know, what are they right now? Are they a team that's trying to win games and get back in this division race and get in the playoffs? Or are they a team that needs to be looking to the future? And you're kind of got one foot on both sides of that line. You know, Sam Elliott, Sam Elliott, that would be a really <laughs> interesting starter. Sam Ellinger, uh, you know, starting at quarterback and you, you, you admit you're evaluating him in, in some ways. Well, that's not something a playoff team does. Uh, but at the same time, you've kept guys around here like Gilmore and, and, uh, in Gawkway. And, and a guy I really feel bad for is DeForest Buckner because here's a guy who is part of the future of this team, you would think, you know, who is part of, uh, of this franchise's cornerstones, uh, who kind of went through this at times in San Francisco. And, you know, now he's got to try to, to, to make sense of what's going on around him. Um, it's just, it's not a good time. I don't think it's a good time uh, to be anybody in this franchise, honestly. And you mentioned before too, when you have kind of one foot on each side, that never works out. Like that is the the that is the worst thing you could possibly do because that is the that is leading you directly to being stuck in the middle, and it's never allowing exactly what you want to go away. If you are kind of one foot, and eh, maybe we'll think about next year, but also I want to compete this year. You cannot compete and try to win and make the playoffs when there's one thought and kind of one foot in the other camp of ah oh, maybe 2023 we should start thinking about that or vice versa. Oh, you know, maybe we'll start thinking about, you know, start looking ahead. But also, eh, kind of want to, you know, we're three, four, and one. Maybe we can make a run. Like, that gets you nowhere in this league. It gets you nowhere. I've seen too many teams kind of fall for the bait of, oh, we're off to a hot start. Or, oh, you know, this is, you know, one thing goes our way. Maybe we can make a run. It never works out, George. It never does. And what I don't get to, if you're Jim Mercer and he's kind of, you know, you mentioned he doesn't want to rebuild. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, wants to win every single year. Well, he also had no problem pulling Matt Ryan after seven games. Like, he had no issue with that. You're going to pull Matt Ryan and, again, signal that basically this year is done in Sam Ellinger. What's the holdup? And then what's the reservation about then just going all the way in and saying, you know what? Two, three trade pieces we have. Let's move them. Let's get some draft capital. And let's kind of start aiming uh, our focus at 2023. Yeah, I mean, to me, you got to go all in one way or the other, right? Either Matt Ryan's your starting quarterback and you're adding at the deadline and you're trying to do everything you can to win – or Sam Ellinger is your starting quarterback and you're thinking more about the future and you're evaluating him and you, and you should, you know, react that way. They're, they're somewhere in between. And like you said, that ends poorly all the time. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. You know, the, the rest of the way, I think so much depends on where this draft pick ends up. That to me is the most fascinating thing. The rest of this year, there's nine games left. Uh, you know, the record is what the record is. Maybe they sneak into the AFC still really bad. We cannot underestimate that part of this. That the AFC is. is still really bad, uh, much worse than we thought it was going to be coming into the year. Uh, but, you know, the record is what it is, and, and it plays out. But to me, the most important thing is where are you picking in the draft, and do you have a chance at, at one of the top quarterbacks? Fingers crossed, George. That is the case at the end of the year. But the Colts – they, they could have made it a lot easier for themselves if they just said, you know what, wave the white flag on 2022, and instead you get one trade in Naeem Hines for, like you mentioned before, I think you summed up perfectly, a bad running back and really an inconsequential pick. Conditional fifth-round pick. Maybe they'll find their next quarterback with that one. Uh, Sam Millinger is a former six-rounder. But either way, like I said, that gets you nowhere to either competing this year or getting closer to losing as many games as possible and getting the best draft pick. So 
I, I don't know about how you characterize it. This feels like a big dud and a big fail trade deadline wise for the Colts. Yeah, I think it was an absolutely. I I just don't see the upshot to the trade at all. Like I said, the only way I see any benefit from this trade is 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 a money saving move, and and that doesn't really do much to help any of the things that we're talking about that need to be done. You, you need to pick a direction here. You know, the head coach is saying full steam ahead. We're going to keep trying to win. That's only that's got a shelf life. I mean, let's oh, yeah. be honest. That's got maybe a week or two left on it uh, where you can legitimately say that if, if you don't start winning right away. You are 100% right about that. And we'll get into Frank Reich here uh, in a second because before the trade deadline came and went on Tuesday, we did have another move on offense made. Last week, we had Matt Ryan bench. This week, we have offense coordinator Marcus Brady relieved of his duties. George and I will react to that move when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. And downloading to the Blue Horseshoe Pod because... Anytime we go live, anytime a new episode drops, you get an alert and you get it right away. So for a day like today, George, we're recording a day later. Don't fret. You will get it as soon as this is live. Uh, you can always stay up to date with everything going on with the Indianapolis Colts. So speaking of which, it's never a dull moment in Indy. That is for sure, George. And Tuesday morning, we found out that Marcus Brady, offense coordinator for the Colts, was relieved of his duties. One week after Matt Ryan was benched, and only after one game of Sam Ellinger's debut, Frank Reich, who's the play caller anyway, will now take over offensive coordinator duties. What was your reaction to Marcus Brady getting canned? Very similar to the Naheem Hines trade. I'm, I'm not sure what it changes. I'm not sure, you know, very similar to, to when Matt Ryan got benched. I, I don't know what changes. We talked about, you know, on Sunday, you got everything that you wanted from, from Sam Ellinger in that game. You, you saw him use his legs and buy a couple more first downs. He seemed to open up a little bit for the running game. It was better than it's been probably any week except for the week one game against Houston this year. Uh, and you got a couple explosive pass plays. You know, they had five plays of 20 yards or more, and I think four of them were, were in the passing game. So you got everything that you could really have realistically hoped for from him. You still scored 16 points, which is what you were averaging coming in. You still turned the ball over twice, which is what you were averaging coming in. And now there's more window dressing. You're going to fire Marcus Brady, and and that's going to, you know, somehow solve all of this. I don't. I mean, Frank Reich today on Wednesday, as we're recording this, he he said it. Brady's not a scapegoat. That's not what this is about. It's about just basically feeling like a change was needed. Sometimes it's just not the right fit. You know, you see guys, players who are in a system, and for whatever reason, it doesn't click for them. They go somewhere else. They play much better. Feels like Marcus Brady might be a coaching equivalent of that. I mean, that's fine. I just don't see anything from the outside looking in. And, and you know, maybe Sunday we'll change our mind. They'll go and they'll they'll blow Bill Belichick away, and you'll understand it was always Marcus Brady who was holding this thing back. Uh, I just don't see anything right now. I mean, we 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 talked about it for eight weeks now. The offensive line is the issue here. The offensive line is is keeping so many things from happening on this offense, whether it's in pass protection that makes you go to a sixth-round rookie so you've got more mobility and your quarterback isn't hit on every down, or whether it's the running game where, you know, Jonathan Taylor looked like Superman last year, has definitely been Clark Kent this year. What's the difference? The running, the blocking up front. It's I don't see how firing Marcus Brady fixes any of that. There's so much to get into, so I guess let's just uh, let's start with this. You're right, 100%. Like, He's not the play caller. So I don't even know how much of a difference we're going to see. Like Frank Reich at the end of the week is the one putting a game plan together, is the one calling the plays. Like 
how I don't know the the you know obviously we don't know the the intricacies and how it works between Marcus Brady kind of getting ready and, and Frank Reich and how that all melded together. But the point is like it's really like you mentioned it's not doing anything. Like at least Matt Ryan, you bench him. Okay, fine. You get a a younger, more mobile quarterback to maybe give this team a spark of life. I honestly don't know what Marcus Brady, what his firing does for this team. I don't think we'll see a tangible uh, difference on Sunday compared to the first eight weeks. And like you mentioned too, we talked about Matt Ryan benching. That felt like a Jim Mercy move. This Marcus Brady firing to me feels like Frank Reich absolutely saying what he said is not the case. I think it's a scapegoat, uh, scapegoat move. I think Frank Reich is feeling the pressure. I think he was trying to make a move to justify why after making a quarterback switch, the turnover problems are still the same. The running game, a little bit better, but not much different. And the point total stayed exactly the same. You're still changing some parts. Nothing's, you know, nothing's getting fixed. So then you start to look above and say, oh, maybe it's not the players, maybe it's the coaching staff. I think this is Frank Reich trying to save his job or at least, you know, buy an excuse to getting another year by firing Marcus Brady. I mean, it feels to me like a, another symptom of what's been pretty clear desperation within the franchise in general right now. I mean, you bench your starting quarterback. You're, it's really a hope and a prayer that, that the sixth-round pick is going to come in and, and you know, bring some life to the team. You change the offensive line around 25 times. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many changes there were there in the first few weeks. Uh, you went to an up-tempo, no-huddle offense to try to get things going. And, you know, none of that's worked. The quarterback change didn't work either. So now what's left? Well, you know, let's let's try a new offense coordinator. Um, the only thing we know for sure, verifiable, that's going to change is, is who's leading some meetings. And it sounds like Scotty Montgomery, who's the running backs coach, is going to take over some of those responsibilities. He's a guy who's coached wide receivers before. He's been around. He understands a lot of aspects of the offense. So I think he'll be able to kind of, you know, influence other areas of the, of, of the team. But Again, I, I just doesn't – I think I said the other day, you know, changing the quarterback felt like when, when the engine's out on your car and you go get new tires, now you're cleaning off the windshield. Not fixing – and that's part of it too, George. Like, all right, they fire – they bench Matt Ryan. Again, is he blocking? No. He was at fault. Don't get me wrong, but you bench Matt Ryan, nothing changes. You fire Marcus Brady. Again, the issue is not the play calling or even the, the game plan leading up to the week, and it's not – the, Matt Ryan was involved for sure, but he was not by far the number one issue with this offense. It's in the offensive line. They, like you mentioned, they tried everything, and nothing's really worked. Nothing's really changed. And you had Frank Reich again this week giving you know Chris Strausser a vote of confidence, saying they you know they think the offensive line is turning and they're starting to see progress. The last few weeks, are they watching the same game we're watching, George? Like Sam Ellinger sure ran as you know got out of the pocket a little bit and didn't get hit as much. But even you go back to the Tennessee game a week ago, Matt Ryan was getting hit. That run game who could not get anything going again for the most part. No, John Taylor was a little bit on a pitch count, had some success, but there was not anywhere near the level of rushing attack we saw last year with the same unit. Uh, even on Sunday, it was a little bit better. We, we called for Jonathan Taylor's second best game of the season. It happened. We're still talking about, what was it, a 76-yard effort? Like, we're not talking about a huge game here. And it's just like, we are talking about, what, marginal improvements at best? And that's the reason you keep, the offensive line coach, which has been the biggest problem this season because you gained an extra 10 yards on the ground and you had a more mobile quarterback that didn't get hit uh, as many times. Like, what are we doing? Like, what, what, is, how, H how are we here, George? How is everyone kind of getting eliminated except the, the, what is obvious to us, the biggest problem on this team? 
Yeah, I mean, I, before I benched the quarterback, before I fired the offense coordinator, I would have gone after the offensive line coach. I mean, that's just me. I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Whoever the head coach is here next year, his number one priority should be driving up to South Bend and presenting a blank check to Harry Heastan and just saying, whatever, fill in the numbers, come down here. I don't care if it's Frank Reich. I don't care if it's Sean Payton. I don't care if it's the, the ghost of Vince Lombardi. Whoever Coach the head coach Rowe. is here next year needs to come up. And, and get Harry Heastan back in here, reunite him with Quentin Nelson. I think he'll get the three big guys, the, the anchors of this line, back up and running. And I think he'd be a pretty good guy to, to pick your next left tackle. But that's a complete tangent. Uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, I think the one of the things that they're leaning on is the yards per carry, 4.7 on uh, Sunday, which sounds pretty good, but I think it's smoke and mirrors a little bit. 135 rushing yards. More than a third of them came on two carries, and they were both, to a certain degree, gimmick kind of situations. You got 28 yards for Paris Campbell on a jet sweep. Great play. I think you should run it again this week. Uh, I think getting the ball in Paris Campbell's hands as many times as possible is a really good idea. If you want a criticism of Sunday's game plan, he only touched the ball three times. He got 71 yards. Maybe try to get the ball to him a little bit more often through various ways, and maybe that's one thing that the Naheem Mines move does. I don't know. Maybe Paris picks up some of those Naheem runs, some of those Naheem slot, you know, uh, when he lines up in the Reps, slot snaps. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't I don't know. Uh that maybe is one one change uh that, that trade maybe will bring about. Uh but the other the other big run was a twenty seven yard run by Jonathan Taylor off an RPO. So I don't know that it really wasn't to my eyes, I mean I would go back and watch the tape again, but it really wasn't the offensive line blowing off you know, blowing off the snap and, and getting that push up front. That's what you want to see. That's what you saw last year. I didn't feel like that happened on Sunday. You, you gimmicked a couple big runs in and, and your yards per carry went up as a result. I mean, George, you could boil it down as simply as third and third and goal at the one yard line. You hand mm-hmm. up John Taylor and you lose two yards. And it's not John Taylor's fault. The reason why he lost two yards, he didn't have a chance. And if you, we talk about the red zone struggles. It's like you need, it's basically, that is just a man up play. This is mano a mano. Who wants him more? Push your guy to the side and the Colts offensive line, especially if you rewatch the, um, the I think it's floating on Twitter, the tape, especially from the all 22 from behind, you see the, the man who made the play in the commanders went right by, uh, right in between Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, who are supposed to be two of, if not the two best offensive linemen you have on your team. They got bodied, blown up, and again, hurt what should have been a touchdown and could have helped win the Colts a game. I mean, you talk about how many yeah. field goals instead of four. That could have won the game right there. You score a touchdown. And that play alone should kind of just, just go to remind you. This offensive line, like you mentioned, sure, he could window dress it up. And, oh, there's a 27-yard run. And there's Sam Ellinger dancing around the pocket. And there's a nice jet sweep. So, look, it's it's improving. But in reality, it's not. Like, when you need to run the ball, this team still cannot do so. On a consistent basis when they are paying the five guys on that line to be able to run the ball whenever they want. All right, you look at it. There's two plays down there by the goal line that if you make either one of them, you win the game. You you make both of them, you win the game by multiple scores. The one you're talking about on third and one, and then the touch pass to Michael Pittman on on third and three, where he's down just short of the mm-hmm. the goal line. Uh, you know, again, there are things that that went wrong on that play that are not only on the line, but if they blow everybody up and they and they get that push and and he walks in, you know, we're probably talking about a victory. We're talking about how. Sam Ellinger move worked, and and you know we're looking forward to what's going to happen on Sunday against the Patriots. And this goes to a larger point too, George, just because this Colts team, especially this year, and, and you kind of seeing now the moves being made when they kind of feel like they're they're again they're being just made like almost impulsively. It, this feels very dysfunctional. 
Like, you know, you see the Browns, you see the Lions, you see the Jets, how they are always constantly in the toilet for the most part. And they're always kind of making rash decisions, never really think about things logically, never really fixing the problem. So far this Colts season, they feel like a, one of those dysfunctional franchises where, like you mentioned, the, the, the problem is glaring. It is obvious. But yet, bench quarterback, fire the offensive coordinator. There's really no method to the madness. And it just leaves you wondering, like, what are they trying to do? And again, you, you go back to the trade deadline where they trade Naeem Hines, but they don't go all in on a rebuild. They don't go all in on adding players. Like, what is going on with this team? Who is in control? And what is the vision they have? Because it's not clear. You're sending two different messages of you want to be this, you want to be that. And neither really makes sense. And neither right now realistic. And it's leaving you in this spinning cycle of disarray. Yep. No, and then that's exactly where they're at, you know. And I think the only, the only clear way out of this right now is for them to clean things up on offense, and and win some games down the stretch. But I don't know going forward. I mean, I know how to, how it looks better this year. You know, you finish somehow six and three down the stretch. Uh, that would put you what nine, seven and one. Maybe you get into the playoffs. You could then start selling that you move forward. But I don't know how any of that, you know, makes you feel better about 2023 or, or going on. I think that's the issue right now. And nothing's going well in the present. Nothing that they're doing appears to be something that's going to make things go go better in the future. It's, it's the worst place to be. It's NFL limbo, you know, and it's and it's honestly it, it all comes back to one thing. Right. Welcome to quarterback purgatory. This is what happens when you switch a quarterback every year and you don't have that guy. The Colts had more than two decades where they didn't have to worry about that, and now they're seeing how the rest of the NFL lives. I mean, you're 100% right. And maybe this is this entire feeling of dysfunction right now is just because the Colts, like you said, have basically been in quarterback heaven for almost the last 25 years or so, right? Going back to Peyton Manning in 98, where it really has been no issues. And he is, you know, him right into Andrew Luck. It's been, this has been two of the best things you could have asked for. And now maybe this is truly just life when you don't have a true quarterback and everything else looks a lot worse than it really is. But especially just going back to this function part, like this feels maybe that's just because it was you said Peyton and Andrew, two great leaders, two guys that always commanded and never really panicked that okay, everything else can kind of settle down because we know we have that set of quarterback. But boy, I don't know if Jim Mercy, to be honest, George, is too involved, is not involved enough, but it just feels like right now someone has to take a hold of this franchise because the the message, the moves are not clear and they're not all seemingly aligned. It seems like there's different self-interests at play here, all kind of working almost against each other. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if you, if you look at these last three, which don't seem to have any kind of cohesion, they don't seem to go together in any kind of realistic, easy-to-understand way, the quarterback move felt a lot like the owner did it. The trade feels a lot like something was driven by the player. Uh, and certainly would have been the general manager's decision. I mean, it was his his call. And now the firing of the offense coordinator certainly feels like something that the head coach did. But it, it feels like three different teams going in three different directions, but it's the same team in, in an eight-day period. That's really, you know, it, it's sort of the definition of dysfunction. And it really is. It really is. And the scary part, there's still so much time still left in the season. And they're still, like, the Colts have not hit rock bottom yet, which is kind of scary. I mean, I think that's probably a good thing for them. Sometimes, you know, when you hit rock bottom, all you can do is go up from there. So, you know, you hope, frankly, the Colts do hit it, George, but it's like there's still a long way for them to go before, in theory, you hit it, which is scary considering there's still two months left to go. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You've still got nine games to play. 
you're still on paper mathematically in a playoff race. I mean, I think that's the other thing. We're, we're talking about all these things going wrong and all these crazy decisions. If you're just looking at the numbers, they're what, ninth in, in, in the AFC, I think, something like that right now. Um, you know, they're, they're still in the middle of a playoff race. And you just, I mean, granted, it's not leading anywhere. But if you're just looking at the numbers, you're just looking at the math, nothing they're doing makes sense because it's, again, it's not buying into that. It's not trying to, to maximize your results this season, which is probably the right call. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think you should be buying into that and trying to maximize the results this year. But if you're not, you got to be doing something to, to set this team up for the future. And it doesn't feel like that's happening either. Yeah, it absolutely does not. It feels like they're just right now trying. They almost feel like they're just hitting buttons you know, on a board in front of them. See, like what could what could work, what can help. And right now, the the benchmark Ryan button didn't help. Fire Marcus Brady button was hit next. I don't think that's going to really lead to anywhere, you know, especially you know, concrete change in in the offense. Um, they're trying. I, I guess that's you want to give them credit. They're trying, but it's just it's almost like they're hurting themselves and trying as hard as they are. Because like I said, you, you can't get fooled into right now the AFC being bad and. Look at, oh, we're three, four, and one. You know, we're not that far away. You just lost to the Commanders. The Commanders stink, George. Oh, I'm sorry. This team is oh not very goodness. good. And we were talking about it before the game, like, or during the game, like, this, this team stinks. And then next yeah. thing you look at the scoreboard, it's like, wow, the Colts just lost. I'm like, we thought the Colts were bad. Then you watch the Commanders, like, oh, this team's bad. And then all of a sudden, you end of the game, it's like, what just happened? Colts lost. It's it's bad. It's absolutely bad. Like, so you is. can't get fooled right now by the record and, and by the fact that everyone really, except for the Dolphins, Chiefs and Bills, you want to throw those three teams in there since two has played well. They've been, you know, kind of clicking all centers and no one else really has. Teams mm -hmm. going nowhere. Like you mentioned, the best interest going forward here is getting the quarterback. Best way to do so, get as high of a draft pick as possible. Some days the Colts seem like that's the plan. Other days seem the Colts feel like they're all in a playoff hunt. And that all leads right now just to them spinning their wheels and really kind of going nowhere fast. So Marcus Brady is out. Frank Reich, the already the play caller, will now become the offense coordinator. Last thing, actually, really quickly to George, because now Frank Reich, you know, his job status has been talked about a lot recently. This is a random question that just kind of popped in my head. Now that you fire the offense coordinator, and now Frank Reich is the offense coordinator and the play call. I know they have other position coaches. Does that almost make Frank Reich for the rest of the year like, almost unfireable? Like, what, what do you uh, do on offense? It's a good question. I mean, it's... Like, uh, is Reggie Wayne going to be taking over the play calling duties if you get Frank Reich out? Like, we for, like oh, I don't know. Man. That would I've be never fun. seen that. That would be interesting. Reg, that would Reg, be fun. you know, on, on the headset with the quarterback could be really <laughs> interesting. Uh, but no, um, I I never thought it was likely he was going to get fired during the season. You know that. I've been saying that all along. Mm -hmm. I think this makes it even less likely. I think that's what you're getting at. Um, you know, I I think it's another thing that that sort of, yeah. I mean, if you fire him now, you're firing your head coach and your offense coordinator. Uh, and also there's no clear direction on what they want to do. So why not see this out? You know, see how it ends and then get to the end of the year and then, you know, make a decision on what you want to do. I will say this um, because I don't think I've said it enough. I Frank Reich has his faults. There's no question. Every coach does. I mean, we can go find look at Sean McVay. Not quite the genius this year. He was, you know, his whole career. Everybody's got their faults. I, I just don't feel like Frank ever got a, a really fair shake here. Um, you know, I mean, you're a Penn State guy. I love to remind you of that. But the thing that, that really makes me laugh is that they've had one starting quarterback for the last five seasons. And the Colts have had – they're on their sixth. 
yeah. mean, this is it, it's what's supposed to happen in college where you got a new starting quarterback every year and you're building an offense around them and it takes a month or two to kind of get everybody together and, and then you take off. But we sit there and we're like, why do they have slow starts every year? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? And they have a new quarterback every year. That's why, you know, you've got to get him involved. You've got to get him on a new page. You've got to figure out what he likes. You've got to figure out how to best utilize him. You know, maybe moving forward now, that's that's maybe that's the one thing that they've got going for him. Is it now Sam Ellinger, you know, had a pretty decent first start. Maybe now that they know him a little bit better. We keep talking about defenses learning, but his own team knows him better now. Maybe his second starts a little bit better if there's hope for the rest of the year. But I just don't feel like, I mean, Frank Reich has never had the same starting quarterback and back-to-back years, that's a phenomenal thing to say about a head coach who was around for, for this is his fifth year. You know, I'm not saying don't sack him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there's a big part of me that feels like he never really got a fair full shot here. I, I'm with you, by the way. Like, I think he's going to get fired. But I, like, I, again, I think the problems with this team are far beyond Frank Reich. Uh, and there's definitely multiple issues you could point to first for a head coach. I know the fan, a lot of the fans want him out. They're sick and tired of him. And it's, it's the easy, shiny, flashy move to make George right. You find a head coach. Okay, this is going to be a new, different story. But you all right. Like, if we're just talking about actually being fair, actually having a real chance to succeed, when you're, even though the playbook kind of stays the same, you're catering it. And Frank Reich does do a good job of this catering the play calls, catering, you know, the system to what the quarterback does well, whether they're more mobile, whether they're more, you know, play action based, like that's a lot to do every off season to basically change around your entire philosophy and offense for a brand new quarterback each of the five years. Naeem Hines has talked about the frustration of learning it with a new guy every single year. Like you are right. Like it's not fair. Sports sometimes aren't fair. Like you saw the Nets mm-hmm. in basketball fire Steve Nash and, and the GM of the Nets basically said, it's not, you know, we didn't give him a chance to succeed. There's all this drama. He didn't really get a fair shake. Like, that's the way sports is, and it's not really, I guess, a fair um, or sometimes the best um, excuse to use. Now, I would agree with you 100%. Like, this team, why they're sitting there at 3-4-1, and one, why they made the playoffs once since 2018, it's not Frank Reich's fault. It's not Frank Reich's There's a lot of other issues you can point to first before you get to the head coach. I am with you there 100%. But that also, with that said, feels like it's inevitable at this point. Fair or not, oh. it feels like this is he's a dead man walking. A hundred percent, a thousand percent. I agree. And you're right. I mean, when you talk about, you know, sports in general, not being fair, put the NFL at the top of that list. There's no yeah. fairness in the NFL and there's no desire for it. It's, it's a dog eat dog world. Uh, you know, it, it's brutal. It's, it's gladiators, right? It's the closest we have in, in That's modern true. society to, to gladiators. And that goes for everybody. It's not just the players on the field, the coaches, the, the front office, uh, as Dan Snyder's finding out the owners on occasion. Uh, hat tip to Jim Irsay there, by the way, but that that's a whole other pod. Um, yeah, because it looks like they're they're going to finally sell. That's that's a good question for you too, Ryan. Before we go on to the final segment, do they put up a banner now for for <laughs> making Dan Snyder sell the Commanders? I mean, you might have to. And I think if you're the NFL, like the, the Commanders are a massive fan base, right? They're they're national. They are a great fan base. They were apathetic for the entire Dan Snyder era. So now the fact that you can get basically back one of the best fan bases in football back invested. If you're Roger Goodell, if you're the NFL, I think you owe Jim Irsay a big thank you. And if I'm if I'm Roger Goodell, I'll just say this, George. I think the first first overall pick in the 2023 draft, I think that would be that'd be good enough. Hey, you get the the most hated owner who drove a team at a fan base away for the last 20 years. You get him out, and in return, the first round pick. I think that's equal, and you give the handshakes. All right, deal. That's just me. I think it's fair. Jim Irsay saved the NFL. 
But we just talked about the NFL is not fair, and so that, that's oh, come the only on. Well, in this that instance, happen. in this instance, they should be fair. Fair is fair. Jim Irsay saved one of the biggest fan bases. You're welcome, Roger Goodell. Reward the man. Give him the quarterback he wants. That's obviously also, by the way, unbiased and definitely not with a Colts slant uh, for sure. None whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, that's completely right down the middle. I, I think it's just facts. It's just spitting facts right there. If this was a Giants podcast or a Patriots podcast, I'd be saying the same thing. I promise you. This is just this is right. This is the only thing that it, that Jim Irsay definitely does deserve. All right, we so, got to get Craig back on. He will agree with you hundred yeah, percent. That sure is he's for, on board. <laughs> Craig, I think would trade him. I would love to know how many first round picks he would trade <laughs> for the guarantee ouster of Dan Snyder. I think he would be a lot. So maybe we'll just do that as well. Get a few Commanders first rounders <laughs> as well. We've left you waiting long enough. When we return to the Blue Horseshoe Pod. George has a spicy hot take. The Colts' future right now is in disarray. It's in shambles. George has a reason why, and it's not because Angela. Like, he'll explain when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. As always, download, subscribe, and like the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We'll keep the content coming three times a week, whether the Colts are bad, whether they're good. And guess what? If they're bad, George will at least try to be funny. We'll at least try to leave you laughing at, at the pain. So, that we will be by your side to help ease the pain of watching what could be just a total disaster for the next nine games. So make sure, again, you're downloading, liking, subscribing, so you're always getting an alert anytime a new episode is released. George, you got a hot take. I'm ex- I have not heard it, so this is going to be an initial reaction. The floor, sir, is yours. Yeah, you you just got the preview on text, and that was it. And So the hot take is that Philip Rivers' retirement hurt the Colts more than Andrew Luck's retirement. And I need to immediately couch that because that's what you do with hot takes right away, right? You back, <laughs> you backjack immediately. Uh, and then say that I, I think the Colts handled Andrew Luck's retirement much better than they've handled Philip Rivers' retirement. What it boils down to is this. You kind of talked about it a little bit even earlier on this show. Andrew Luck retires two weeks before the regular season in 2019. They did the only thing they could do. They started Jacoby Brissett. They threw all their support behind him. They gave him every opportunity to, to be the guy and through seven weeks, he looked like he might be, they were five and two and things were going pretty well. He got injured. Brian Hoyer came in. The rest is pretty ugly. We don't need to recount it. Uh, and, and, but what did they do then? They understood the situation they were in. They understood they had a good backup quarterback. Who's the starter. They needed to do better. They went out, they got an aging Phillip rivers and, and Frank Reich, Got a very good season out of him. That was an 11-5 and five football team. They probably should have beat Buffalo in the playoffs that year. Uh, and, and it felt like things were, were still kind of hopeful around here after that season. You needed a quarterback, and you knew it. Uh, but I feel like if, if Phillip Rivers comes back in 2021, first of all, you don't panic and trade for Carson Wentz. So you've got better capital, and, and you're not going through that whole experience. But second, and maybe most importantly, that was a pretty deep quarterback draft. And I wonder if Philip Rivers is still here, and you know it's probably his last year. He's kind of on a rocking chair tour. He's going to make his last stop everywhere, and everyone's kind of giving him that farewell. Do you draft Justin Fields? Do you draft Mac Jones? Somebody like that. They sit for a year behind Philip Rivers, which would be one heck of a tutoring session. And then they're the starting quarterback this year. To me, that's a much better scenario than the trade for Carson Wentz, the collapse that happened there. That leads to the panic of just getting rid of him, getting whatever you can, which leads them out, Ryan, which leads the situation they're in now. If Phillip Rivers plays one more year and you draft a quarterback in 2021, I think you're feeling a lot better about these Colts than you are today. 
That's fascinating. That's really interesting. Now, I'll be honest, from my perspective, I did not want Philip Rivers back in 2021, and I was on board with the Carson Wentz move because, again, I can't. You see what they did with Philip Rivers, and it's a great Frank Reich can get the best out of these guys, and this could be a you know a guy with a stronger arm, more mobile, younger, and Carson Wentz that can kind of elevate this franchise. I guess my only question is this, George. Realistically, let's just say that happened. Phil Rivers returns for one more year, which it sounds like the Colts wanted him to come back. Um, and they were kind of surprised by him retiring after that 2020 season. If he came back in 2021, what are the odds? Like, What's the likelihood you think they, they draft a quarterback? Because remember in that draft class, right? That was a 2021 draft. So you had Mac Jones go 15. You had five quarterbacks go. If my math is correct, right? You had Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, all go within the top 15. I forget what the Colts would have been picking at there, or they did pick. It was 20. They made the plus so somewhere around 20, 21. Would mm-hmm. they have traded up, you think? Would they have made a move to trade up to get a guy? I think so. I think if they didn't have the guy in place, I, I think so. You know, I think they would have gone up and and, and gotten a guy uh, because Jacoby was gone, right? I mean, he, he had already left. Uh, Jacoby was gone. So you didn't have to, you, you weren't, you didn't have a starter in waiting in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and so I think, you know, you'd have known that Philip Rivers was on his last year. I really think they'd have gone up. I think it would have been Fields or Jones. And, you know, granted, you could argue about whether those two guys are going to work out, but I think you'd feel a lot better trying to develop them with the talent they've got at skill position. I think one of the most frustrating things right now is that Jonathan Taylor and, and Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce give you a really nice set of weapons. And so I would, you know, as a young quarterback, I think you'd be feeling pretty good being in that situation. Yeah, there's problems with the line, but you'd have more ability to address that going forward, too, because now you're going to have to end up using some of that draft capital to get a quarterback next year. Uh, you wouldn't, you know, you'd be looking at offensive tackles right now. That, that would be your main thing. Who can we get to come in here as a left tackle? That's why, in my mind, what happened after Phillip Rivers left was worse and put this team in a worse situation than what happened after Andrew Luck left. That's so tough because obviously, I mean, this is a guy on a Hall of Fame trajectory in Andrew Luck. And mm-hmm. honestly, going to that 2019 season, George, I don't know um, how you felt. I honestly, th- I thought this team was going to win the Super Bowl. Like, I'll be honest. Yep. I thought this team, you win a playoff game and they didn't, okay, they get smoked by Kansas City, but I thought they were like right there, neck and neck with Kansas City. And they could be, especially in Andrew Luck's second year, kind of the rust is off. I really thought this team was going to take off and just be that elite team. Um, so I will still Long say. Term. Long-term, yes. Yeah, you're right. Long-term, it was definitely all luck. Uh, but I just feel, and that's why I said I had to back off a little bit because it's more about how they handled the retirements. Obviously, Luck's retirement is the far more damaging. It, it may be the most damaging retirement in NFL history in terms of quarterbacks go uh, with his age and, and his future and the way that team was built to win around him. I mean, that was absolutely, you know, devastating. But I feel like they handled the aftermath of that a lot better than they handled the aftermath of Philip Rivers. And they definitely had a plan. Like again, when you it's you almost have no choice but to kind of have a plan then when it's so close to the season. But you are right where it's like you're kind of looking like, all right, they tried with Carson Wentz, didn't work. Now it's like, all right, let's throw the next dart on the board. Oh, Matt Ryan, like when they I'll be honest, when they traded Carson Wentz last year, I was happy he was gone, but also in a sense, I was a little frustrated because like, what are you doing then? You didn't have a first mm-hmm. round pick. You, you traded him with no clear intention or guy out there. And it's just like, I mean, it, 
I don't say it worked out, but it's like, okay, you get you get a guy you feel good about a Matt Ryan, let's just say. So at least the preseason, there was hope and optimism, right? But then you trade him away and she's like, all right, now what are we going to do? Like, oh, well, I don't know. But it's like, we just had to get rid of this guy without any sort of actual reasoning or any sort of plan in place. Say, he's gone now. This is who we're going to pursue. Or now we're going to go on in the draft. And you are right. Like, if you trade up in the first round, Maybe give up a first round pick. Maybe you don't have to, depending on you know who is where and who is falling. You know, yeah, Justin Fields go, I believe, at eleven, and you mm-hmm. the Bears use a first round pick. But now, okay, fine. I'd rather use a first round pick for Justin Fields than use it for for Carson Wentz. Because that, that's my point. Right. You lost a first round pick last year in the Wentz deal. You're gonna, we'll say, lose quote unquote a first round pick this year because you're gonna seemingly take a quarterback. So you're right now. That's two years in a row that you don't address somewhere on the offense or somewhere on the team that needs help instead of when you could have done it in 2020. Yeah. It's, I like where the thought is. I like where your head is at George, because you, you like how they've handled it since there's basically been no plan and the patchwork has hurt them more than it's helped them. And you're still in it. I mean, it's a cycle you're still in because even if you go and draft a guy this year, what if he's not the right guy? I mean, you got to do it. I'm not saying don't do it because he might right. not be the right guy, but what if he's not the right guy? Like you're still in that same cycle and it's just going to be an endless, I think, series of, of this until you hit that guy, which is why Roger Goodell should recognize your plan and give the Colts the number one pick in, in the 2023 draft. And I'm not complaining about the 2020 season at all. Like, again, I was no. very happy and they they played way better than I thought. But in now when you look like with the benefit of hindsight, again, I'll say that with the benefit of hindsight, looking back, it almost gave the false impression like, hey, we can, like, we are just a quarterback way and we can kind of play patchwork mm-hmm. and kind of go to the thrift store and get a quarterback. And we're so good. And Frank Reich's so good at his job. And this average line is the best. And we got our skill weapons where it doesn't really matter. We'll need an elite guy. And like you mentioned, like, that has really hurt them. And they've regressed in a large part because of that, where if you do draft a quarterback in 2021, like you mentioned, you have arguably one of the best and most knowledgeable guys you can learn from in the business in Phillip Rivers for whether it is Justin Fields or Mac Jones or whoever you 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 try mm-hmm. to uh, go acquire. And at least you, I would assume there would have been a decline in Phillip Rivers' play in 2021, which would have just kind of reinforced it's time to, you know, turn the page and it's time to get a guy that can be your quote-unquote Andrew Luck on that same caliber for another decade instead of playing, you know, getting on the carousel and kind of spinning the wheel and see what, what it lands on this time. Yep. That's, that's my point. Um, I mean, obviously Andrew Luck's retirement was devastating and if he's not gone, I think they do win a Super Bowl by now. I, I don't know if that's a hot take number two in here, but I would I really agree. think if Andrew Luck plays that. out, they would have won a Super Bowl by now, but yeah, I think you're on the quarterback carousel you're on right now because Philip Rivers retired after the 2020 season. I hope George, we are, if we're talking about, a quarterback this time next year. Uh, hopefully it's a rookie quarterback and what they're showing, but my goodness. For back on the carousel, I'm going to get motion sickness. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> I've spun around too many times. I'm getting wildly. I'm starting to see, you know, get dizzy. It's time to get off. Get off, please. Holy Absolutely. smokes. I like that thought, though. I, I like that thought a lot because you are right. It's You can definitely put a lot of blame for the Colts continuing to get on the carousel and continue to spin their wheels. And large part because of Philip Rivers' retirement and thinking, okay, we'll just basically repeat it, no problem. And so far, you tried twice and you are 0 for 2. So that'll do for this week's edition or the midweek edition, I should say, of the Blue Horseshoe Pod. We will be back on Thursday afternoon, or really Friday morning, I should say, excuse me, 
as we get you set and ready to take on the vaunted, hated, hated Patriots. We'll go behind Emmy lines as always. We'll talk about maybe what could have been the Colts' possible quarterback in Mac Jones as they will go against him as he's embroiled in his own quarterback controversy. So maybe, hey, maybe Mac Jones would love to be an Indy right now. He looked at that situation and said, shoot, at least I know I'll be the guy instead of looking over his shoulder at Bailey Zappi. So a big Colts-Patriots preview. We'll get that set and ready to go on Friday. So now, man, have a great rest of the week. Again, make sure you're always subscribing, downloading, and liking the Blue Horseshoe Pod. And we'll talk to you on Friday right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.